Okay, open your Bibles to Mark 16 once again. This is a continuation of what we started last week, so you should have your paper. And uh, do we have any extra papers back there? Hold up your hand if you didn't get one last week. We are dealing with the subject of sharing the gospel and presenting the gospel. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, once again, as we speak about this very, very, very important subject, help us to see the need, help us to see the wherewithal we have in order to take the gospel to the loss of our community. And Lord, I pray that you give us a greater burden to do just that. I thank you for those who are faithful to come out to soul winning and faithful to attempt to witness. But Lord, there's so many who, who have not caught that vision, and I pray that they might, they would, and understand the responsibility we have. Now bless our teaching time tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, now, don't forget, you have a two-sided paper there. And uh, just, I'm going to run through by introduction. We talked about sharing the gospel, and uh, we talked about understanding what the gospel is. And uh, the definition of the gospel is, is uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We also define it as the good news, and the good news that there is a way of salvation. And we talked about when we're presenting the gospel, avoiding extremes and uh, front-loading the, the message that you're trying to give with a lot of theological terminology and, and basically making it harder to understand than it really is. That's one of the dangers. The other danger is making it too simple. One, two, three, pray after me. Uh, that is not a gospel presentation uh, that's trying to get somebody's name on a card somewhere that they prayed a prayer. Praying a prayer will not save someone. And uh, we talked about personalizing your plan, and uh, we actually got into the Romans Road, and, and I outlined for you the Romans Road on leading someone to Christ and tried to encourage you to mark that in your Bible. And we had left off with the idea of leading to a decision, and I mentioned that the difference between a witness and a soul winner is a witness draws the net. A witness seeks to bring somebody to Christ. And uh, so our first big point was understanding the gospel. Second big point or sub-point, uh, avoid extremes. I have to look over here. Have a plan. Uh, give a clear presentation, and that's what we were talking about. Understand God loves you. Realize your lost condition. Recognize the penalty. Believe Christ died for your sins, and confess your faith in Christ. And we talked about all that last week. And then we were talking to leading to a decision, and that's drawing the net, bringing them to that place where you you confront the person. You say, wouldn't you like to 
receive Christ as your Savior. And uh, we want to pick up with, with the uh, next section, and that's dealing with common questions. Dealing with common questions. Or arguments, if you want to use that word. Now, I sometimes refer to what we do door knocking as confrontational evangelism because we are confronting people. And when you confront people, sometimes you get feedback, sometimes you get opposition. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the questions uh, people ask. Um, it's probably every soul winner's great fear what if someone asked me a question I don't know the answer to? Well, you don't have to have all the answers. You're not there to have all the answers. Matter of fact, nobody has all the answers. What I do is if someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer, and it's a soul-winning visit, I tell them, that's a good question. I don't have the answer right now. I'll work on getting it back to you, but let's get back to what we're talking about. Hmm? All right? And that's, that's a good way to handle any questions that you may not be able to answer. And we're going to talk about some common ob objections that people bring. And uh, the first one is, well, I've always been a Christian. Any of you ever have somebody tell you that? Well, I've always been a Christian. Nobody has always ever been a Christian. Nobody is born a Christian. Now, some people think because they got baptized as a little baby, it made them a Christian. They've been a Christian ever since. We know that's not true. So when someone says that, we need to do a little explaining there. Well, perhaps you belong to a Christian church, but the Bible definition of a Christian is one who's received Christ as their personal Savior. Have you ever done that? And, of course, in most instances, you'll get a big, well, no, I haven't done that. And you can go from there. But this is something that people are going to throw at you. Well, of course I'm a Christian. I've always been a Christian. And we have to be able to debunk that and uh, show them where they're not a Christian. And I'm going to give you a couple of verses to jot down. Um, in Psalm 51 and verse 5. It says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And then in John 3, verse 3, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So three verses there, Psalm 51, 5, John 1, 12, John 3, 3. Those are good verses to refute that idea. The next objection you might face is, I've asked God to forgive me many times. And I've had people tell me, well, I pray every day for God to forgive me. Well, that's a wonderful thing. And I may even tell them that. Well, that's a wonderful thing that you realize you've sinned and you want forgiveness. But now we can go right into it. Well, the only way you can have forgiveness is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, another variant of this is I pray every day. The soul winner should explain that praying to receive Christ as Savior 
is different than just repeated prayers. It is a prayer of faith, believing in Christ's ability or willingness to save, and is a one-time decision. And that's what you want to stress. Well, what I'm talking about here is a confession of your need for Christ and uh, you're wanting him to save you. And we only ever do that one time. And then if you want to, you can go back to uh, John chapter 1, verse uh, 12, where it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even of them believe on his name. Or John 3, 3, that you must be born again. And you say, how many times do you ever get born? Well, they're going to say once, and you say, well, yeah, once physically, and then once spiritually, and you need to be born again. But that's another one they'll throw at you. And let me say this. We're talking about common objections or arguments, whichever you want to use. But people will do this oftentimes just to get you off track. Now, sometimes in sincerity, you'll face some of these questions, and sometimes it's just what we call a red herring to get you off on some other subject uh, and away from the salvation plan. Keep bringing them back to why you're there. I'm here to tell you how to get saved. And that's what we need to talk about. Well, there's a third. Oh, I didn't put the second one up. I'm sorry. I've asked God to forgive me many times. And then the next one is, this is too simple. I need to do something to earn my salvation. Now we want to explain, well, we could earn our, our salvation. It would not be a gift. And the Bible declares that salvation is the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't work for a gift. And sometimes I'll even try to illustrate uh, the idea of a gift. If, if I offer you a gift and then tell you you have to do this or that or the next thing to get it, it's no longer a gift. You're earning it. A gift is something that you don't earn, you just receive. And so we emphasize that. And Romans 6.23 is the verse we want to go to. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Another cross-reference, if you want to use it, is Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're working at this idea of it's a gift. And uh, of course now, remember, in our soul winning presentation, we were talking about that same verse, and we talked about wages. Remember that last week? And I illustrate, if you go to work, you get a wage. If you don't go to work, you don't get anything because you don't deserve anything. And uh, the wages of our sin is death. So what we really earn, what we deserve, is spiritual death or dying and going to hell. But the gift of God. And now we contrast the wage with the gift when we talk to people. Another verse you, you might want to use. Well, let me hold off on that one. The next one is, I'm good enough, I'm not a terrible sinner. Sometimes it's hard to get people to acknowledge their sin or the terribleness of their sin. 
you know, they compare themselves, well, you know, I never killed anybody and I, I never did this or that or the next thing, so I'm not such a bad sinner. Listen, all it takes to be a sinner is to break one of the Ten Commandments. Amen? And uh, most everybody's lied at some point in their lives. Hmm? We might look good compared to another person, but compared to God, we are in need of salvation. As I say, people will compare themselves with other people. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, that's not the measurement. What you measure yourself against is Christ. How do, you, how, do you, how do you match up there is the issue. Now, uh, verses for that would be Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 64, 6. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Romans 3.12. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, I like to use that verse when somebody says they're a good person. Hmm? I'll go to that verse, Romans 3.12, and uh, I'll give it to you again. They are all gone out of their way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then I jump right over to verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's, that's our rebuttal for I'm good enough, I'm not a terrible sinner. How about this one? Doesn't death end everything? Have any of you ever dealt with somebody who just believed that when they die they were going to a hole in the ground? Yeah, there's a lot of people who believe that. They believe there is no afterlife. And, of course, we've got to show them that there is. And so in Hebrews 9, 27... It says, as at the point of all men wants to die, and after this, the judgment. So there is a life after this. And then we could go over to Luke chapter 16, the story of Lazarus and the beggar. Um, and that establishes that there's a life after. And the reality, really, of heaven and hell. Some people... Listen, there are some people who want to believe in a heaven, but they don't want to believe in a hell. Luke 16 clears that up real fast. The rich man woke up in torment. Lazarus woke up in, in Abraham's bosom or paradise. That establishes there is a heaven, there is a hell. And then sometimes people say, well, I appreciate what you're saying but I don't want to give up my lifestyle or my friends. Lifestyle or my friends. And for that, we look at Mark 8, 36 and 37. 
For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Hmm. What is more important to you than where you're going when you die? Hmm? Yes, ma'am. That's Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. And then this one, I've had this one. I think as long as I'm sincere in what I believe, that's all that matters. And when somebody tells me that, very quick answer is this. You may be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. Hmm? And for that, we go to Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And I don't know if I have it down here or not. Well, some other verses you can use for that one. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And of course, John 14, 6, very applicable. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And now normally a person who's using this argument will say, we all have our own way to God. And now we have to bring them back to there is only one way. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. John, 1 John 5, verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So those are all good verses to use uh, in the argument of, of uh, when you come to objections, if you will. Now, one other one they'll throw at you is dealing with the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you'll face people who just don't believe Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of things here. Number one, his deity is shown through his names. Number two, his deity is shown through his works. Number three, his deity is shown through his attributes. And number four, his deity is shown through his resurrection. Now, let me elaborate a little bit on those points. First of all, his names. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Then John 20 and verse 28, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Then his deity through his works. John 1, 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
Colossians 1.16. Um, I don't have that down here other than the reference. But uh, Colossians 1.16 tells us all things were made by him and for him. He upholds the world, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So he created the world, he upholds the world, he forgives sin, and uh, that's Mark chapter five or 2, verse 7 through 11, where they bring the crippled man and lower him down through the roof, and, and Jesus forgives the man's sin. And then the Pharisees object and say, who can forgive sin but God? Duh! <laughs> Maybe the light ought to go on. And his deity is shown through worship. We think about the, the uh, magi that came to worship him, and uh, they came to, to present gifts and worship to him as the Son of God. And um, in John 9, verse 38, and he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So Jesus accepts worship from people at times as God. All right, his deity is shown through his attributes. He was omnipotent. Jesus was omniscient. And he was even omnipresent. He said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Then we see his eternality. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is an eternal being. His immutability, that means he could not sin. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And then, of course, I don't have to elaborate. His deity is shown through his resurrection. No other man has ever been able to resurrect himself from the grave. And here's another thought. Those who, who have been resurrected, you know, people say, well, what about Lazarus? And uh, what about some of those people Jesus raised from the dead? Don't ever forget, they all had to die again. Jesus never did. So there is a difference. Okay, so we've dealt with the questions, the objections. Now we want to talk about making a soul-winning visit. Making a soul-winning visit. Now, number one, when you're, when you're soul-winning... And every time the gospel is presented to a lost person, no two presentations are exactly the same. And that's why I tried to emphasize last week, you should have a plan of your own. Now, you can go with somebody who's an experienced soul winner and see them and learn from them, but ultimately, you need to come up with a presentation of the gospel that you're comfortable with. And uh, I'm going to give you some tips about soul winning, but again, you have, to, you have to come up with your own plan, so to speak. Um, let's see. 
I need to go over there. Okay, on your sheet, the first soul winning visits we're going to talk about, there are two types. There's follow-up visits. Most of the time I do those. Sometimes I have my wife do them or Pastor Meyer. But I try to do most of these myself. And then there's cold canvas or door-to-door type visitation. We're going to talk about follow-up visits very briefly. Number one, if you're making a follow-up visit, you need to you need to institute or open up conversation. What I mean by that is you need to learn to make some small talk. In order to do that, you want to use the help method. H-E-L-P. Now, what's that stand for? Number one, the home. Here's what I'm getting at. When you go to make a visit, you should be attentive as you're walking towards the house, where you're going, of what's going on here. Take in the scene, put it in your mind, and start thinking about how you can use it. Okay, I want to make small talk with somebody. So maybe I walk up on their porch, and and their porch is well-decorated. Hello, I'm Pastor Gilmore from First Baptist Church. By the way, you've got a beautiful porch here. I'm making small talk. I'm trying to warm up to them. You have a lovely home here. I admire your flowers. These were all things I observed as I was walking towards the house that I can try to use for small talk. Um, I'll get to this in, in a minute. Employment. We start making small talk, and maybe we notice that there's a plumber's truck in the driveway. Oh, I see you. You're a plumber or a painter. Or maybe we, we in some other way, learn about, you know, um, maybe they come out in, in uh, uniform-type clothes. What do you do for a living? Oh, 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 yeah. So now we're going to talk about that a little bit. The next one is loved ones, and what I want to highlight here is when you're walking to a door, take notice if there are toys in the yard. What does that tell you as soon as you see toys in the yard? They got kids. Well, in my presentation, I want to make sure I mention that we have a bus ministry, and we're happy to pick up boys and girls who want to come to church. Hmm? But we can warm up in the conversation. Oh, I, I, I see you got toys here. I'm assuming you have some children. How many children do you have? Boys or girls? And make a little bit of warm-up conversation. And possessions, again, you might see, I've had this happen. You walk in the driveway and there's a classic car sitting there. You know, maybe a 57 Chevy or... Ford don't make any classics, so I can't use them. (laughs) But you notice a nice car in the driveway, and you make reference to it and some small talk about it. Man, I really like that car. Hmm? Warming up to people. 
And we need to know how to do that. So that's the help method. You got it? Now we're going to talk about an empty screen. Uh, the cold canvas visits. This is the... Hmm? Number one, introduce yourself. We have a real problem with this, and, and I don't know how to fix it. We get identified right off as Jehovah's Witness, and we're not. So, you know, I thought about maybe we ought to all get big signs and put it on our, our heads or something that we're Baptists. But many people think that we're Jehovah's Witness, so the first thing you want to do is introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Pastor Gilmore, and then I want to tell them where I'm from. I'm from the First Baptist Church in Easton. Now, hopefully that puts them a little at ease that I'm not a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. Then... I want them to know why I'm there. And here's what I use as a warm-up to people. Hi, I'm Pastor Gilmore. I'm from First Baptist Church in Easton. We're visiting in your neighborhood, inviting folks to visit our church. Can I get you to visit our church? Okay, I haven't put any pressure on them. I, I'm just inviting them to come to church. It's a part of the warm-up. Well, no, we have a church. We go somewhere. Okay, what do I do with that now? I say, well, I'm glad you go to church, and we're not trying to take you away from church. I'm trying to put their mind at ease. I'm not trying to make them a member of my church. And I'm really not. I'm trying to keep them out of hell. But I don't want to come out and just say that to them. So if somebody says they go to church, I commend them for going to church. I say every, everybody ought to go to church. But then we've got to get them around. We invite them to our church. And they determine, okay, I've kind of tried to warm up to them. Are they warming up to me? Is this conversation going to be able to go any further? Okay, let me give you an illustration. This is one I despise. I knock on a door, somebody answers the door, and they're on the phone. And they don't say, let me call you back and hang up. They stay on the phone. Well, right away I know I'm not going anywhere with this conversation. So what's, what's the next best thing I can do? Give them a track and try to leave the door open maybe for a later visit. I see you're busy. Let me give you one of these. Maybe we can come back and talk to you sometime. Now, sometimes they're on the phone. Nowadays, oftentimes I run into this. Well, we're just eating dinner. Good night, man. It's 7.30 at night. You're just having dinner? But listen, it's a different society nowadays. People don't necessarily work nine to five. We've got a lot of commuters that live in Easton. They have a 12-hour day every day. 
So people answer the door, you know, and, and I want to talk to them and say, well, I was just getting dinner. Or I was, we were just eating. That is not a good time for a visit. So once again, I invite them to church, come visit our church, make sure I give them a track. And I try to do this. I say, look, I'm going to give you this track here. Would you promise that you'll read it? And I try to get them to commit to reading it. And then I go. Hopefully, sometime we'll come back down that street. We'll have a better opportunity to talk. We need to look for an opportunity to turn the conversation to a spiritual conversation. All right, I got on the porch. I knocked. Somebody answered the door. I small-talked them a little bit, invited them to church, and then I asked them this question. Has anybody ever talked to you about being born again or being saved? Some people like to use this question. If you died right now, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Those, those two questions were things to steer the conversation now where we need it to be. We really want to talk to them about being saved. We've got to get the conversation over to spiritual things. You with me? So we asked that question. Anybody ever talked to you about being saved, about being born again? Well, no. Well, can I talk with you for just a few minutes and show you how you can be born again tonight? You see how we're doing that? We're not trying to be offensive. We're not trying to, to put the person uh, at, uh, at unease. But we're trying to get the conversation where we need it to go. Well, Exchange contact information. Okay, I've got the conversation where I wanted to go, and they said, no, thank you, or I'm busy, maybe another time, something to that effect. I give them our contact information. I say, well, all of our information is right there on that track I gave you. If we can help you, if you have questions, don't be afraid to call. All right? What if they say, well, I'd like you to talk to me about being saved. That's what we're there for. Now we take our Bible, and I'll get to that in just a few minutes, and now we're going to take the Bible and show them. Remember the Romans Road we talked about last week? That's where we are now. If you have not shared the gospel, leave the door open. If you have shared the gospel now, you want, to, you want to get contact information. If you lead somebody to Christ, I always tell them, let me get a little information. I keep a record of people who have been saved. I want their name. I want their address. I want their age. I want their birthday. I write all that information down. Now, I don't usually have a decision card with me. You can carry them if you want to. Uh, I usually have something to write on. And uh, when I get back to the church, then I fill out a decision card. In order to do that, I need to have that information I just went over. Name, address, age, birth date. There's a place on the decision card for are they married or not married. Hmm? 
And then we want to know who dealt with this person. So when you fill out a decision card, you put your name on it that you dealt with the person. Okay, practical tips. These are just things I've kind of learned along the way. Let me get over to my list. I think I have seven of them here, if I'm not mistaken. Number one, go with a partner. It's good to go two by two. When at all possible, do that. Now, listen to me. When you go two by two, one of you does the talking. You can take turns, that's fine. You know, I'll knock on this door, you knock on the next one, however you want to do it. But when you get into a conversation, only one person should be doing the talking. See, when you get into conversation and maybe you're leading somebody to the Lord, uh, the other person saying something interrupts and breaks the whole co uh, continuity of the conversation. Well, what's the other person supposed to do? You're the silent partner. You should be praying for what's going on right then. The other thing you do is you run interference, if at all possible. That means if, if you can somehow keep them from being disturbed, keep your eyes open and see if there's any, anything you can do. Say some kid comes running up and needs something. Well, if you can help them, help them. Hmm? Silent partner, that's what we call it. All right. So carry a New Testament or a small Bible. It's not a good thing to take your Sunday go-to-church Bible soul winning. Well, why not? Because it scares people. People see that Bible coming, and boy, they just. So get yourself a nice New Testament or a small pocket Bible. I have a small Bible, you know, just maybe that big. And uh, it's not so scary. Go with a partner. Always be polite and courteous. Listen, sometimes the people are going to be rude, crude, and unattractive to you. That don't mean you, you, you respond the same way. No, you just stay kind. You know, they tell you, get off of my porch. Okay, no problem. You don't argue with them. Never criticize another person's belief or religion. You say, well, pastor, you, you criticize other religions in preaching. Yes, I do, in preaching. That's when people are here. They've come here, and they've come to hear the truth, and I'm going to give them the truth. When I go to their house, I'm in their home. And I want to observe good manners. Okay, I'm knocking on the door and I talk to the person. I find out they're a Catholic. 
I was raised Catholic, so I know what they teach. But I don't go into a big diatribe about how wrong the Catholic Church is. No, 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 no. I'm not there for that. I'm there to give them the truth. See, I'm shining light, and the light will dispel the darkness. I don't need to. Hmm? So I don't attack them. Even, well, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not going to attack. I'm just going to tell them what I need to tell them. Well, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what I'm here for. See, otherwise you turn people off. They won't even listen to you. Then, never talk alone with a person of the opposite sex in the house. Hmm? Now, I, I know the ladies are already well aware of this, and, and uh, the, they understand you don't go in the house with someone alone. Uh, fellas, same thing. Well, what do I do? Stand on the porch. Ask him to step outside. Hmm? Listen, going in the house alone with somebody of the opposite sex, you're putting yourself in a very, very, very precarious position. Because all it takes is an accusation against you. Well, nothing happened. Well, that might be true, but if there's an accusation, you're in hot water. And a lot of it. So protect yourself. Never, 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 never talk to a young child without a parent present or a parent's permission. Now, things are far different today than they were 20, 30 years ago. When I, when I first got saved, it was nothing to go out soul winning and talk to kids on the street as you're walking by. Today, you don't dare do that. And, and understanding, I, I understand why, and if I was a parent, I would feel the same way. I wouldn't want strangers walking up to my kid and talking to him. So please don't do that. If you want to talk to a child, knock on the door and get the parent's permission. Can I speak to your kids? And in reality, you really need to speak to the parent anyway. Right? Now, notice I said young child. If you've got a 16, 17-year-old young person, uh, you can talk to them. Hello? But little kids, no. All right. Are we done? We're done. Let me back up. I can't back up. It won't let me. Okay, questions or comments? Well, if you take over, then the person who initially had the conversation becomes a silent partner. Just one person is talking. You understand that? If that happened and the first person got nervous and was fumbling, well, step aside and let the other person do the talking. You become the silent partner. 
but you don't want two people talking to somebody at the same time. That's not a good situation. Who else? Question, comment? Clear as mud, huh? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Those are always to open the door. Yes, ma'am. Those are hard ones to recover from. Oh. Yeah, that'll lighten up the conversation, that's for sure. Somebody else, question, comment? Nobody? Okay, well, let's pray. Well, I let him go for a little while, and then I say, well, I'm glad you're actively involved, and I break into the conversation and, and try to present what we're presenting without his starting up again. And sometimes you just need to excuse yourself as politely as you can and say, well, look, uh, I got more places to visit, so I'm going to leave you with this and uh, come visit our church. Yeah. Listen, one of the keys to all this is before we go, we pray for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you should be praying for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And let him help you. Jesus said when the time comes, he'll, he'll give us what to say. We just need to seek it. Somebody else, question? Yes, comment. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, learned that one in Jacksonville. Always, if there's a fence around the yard, rattle the gate. Why do you do that? To find out where the dog is. You don't want to be surprised. Some people have been, Pastor Meyer. <laughs> Just another tip. 
Somebody else, question, comment. Do you have a question or a comment? No? Okay. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you allow us to be soul winners, that you have blessed us with the opportunity to take the gospel and see people come to Christ. It's a joy when we're able to see somebody accept the Lord. We want to hone our skills. We want to be better at it. We want to be soul winners that are seeing success in our soul winning efforts. Help us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.